RX Security has over 30 years experience printing tamper-resistant prescription pads and EHR paper that is Medicaid and state compliant. To prescribe safely, visit rxsecurity.com. That's rxsecurity.com. This podcast was sponsored by Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona. Mike is the select provider of medical professional liability coverage for the Maricopa County Medical Society. For more information about MICA, call 602-956-5276 or visit www.mica-insurance.com. Hello, my name is Rahul Rishi. I'm a physician board certified in adult and pediatric allergy immunology, as well as in internal medicine. I have a strong interest in angioedema and pediatric eczema. Welcome to the Arizona Physicians Podcast. The most important thing that we can leave anyone listening with today is that asset protection is always about timing, right? It is about risk management. It's about identifying risks, uh, ensuring ourselves against those risks, and then having legal tools in place to protect ourselves if our compliance efforts and insurance fails. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. We have a special guest, Mr. Ike Devji. He has practiced law in Arizona for two decades, focusing on asset protection. Mr. Devji is the former managing attorney of Laudmel and Laudmel, the largest asset protection-only law firm in the United States. Ike is also of counsel with the Arizona-based business law firm of Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. He has been listed among Worth Magazine's leading wealth and legal advisors. Mr. Devji has over 100 bylines at physicianspractice.com, where he writes about legal and business issues that threaten the wealth of doctors. Ike, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, John. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to see you. And I know um, you've got a great connection to a lot of physicians who are in Arizona and outside of the state. And I also understand that you have um, a dozen some odd physicians who are in your family. So my first question for you is about the connection to medicine. Is that connection that you've had in your family, what motivated you to assist doctors with asset protection? I certainly think that's part of it, John. I've seen obviously the challenges that physicians face firsthand through my family members and those family members who are physicians are in various specialties and in in, in a wide range of fields. And they range from employed physicians to practice owners to multi-specialty practice owners with hundreds of employees. So I've seen the challenges that they face at each scale. You know, and and that's so certainly that that gives me some empathy and some insight understanding my and and my own immediate family also has owned medical practices in the past. So some of this is uh, is uh, me preaching from the front seat, so to speak, uh, having been through a lot of these challenges. In terms of the book of people that we protect, we protect several thousand physicians across the country uh, on these issues as well. Okay, great. And I think it would be very helpful for the listeners if you could explain the difference between asset protection, estate planning, and business law and where they intersect. That's that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up because that is often one of the blind spots for many of the docs that we protect when I talk to them. So asset protection and, and estate planning should work in parallel. But unfortunately, in America, most of us spend more time and money planning for our death than we do for our life. Uh, 
So I think one simple and very basic and reductive way to, to make a differentiation between estate planning and asset protection planning is estate planning is death planning and asset protection is life planning. Estate planning is who gets my assets when I pass? How are those assets protected for those I leave behind? Is there an estate tax exposure? So on and so forth. Asset protection planning is how do I enjoy protect, preserve, and grow these assets during my life? How do I have access to them? How do I keep them legally distinct from my personal and professional liability? And how do I make sure there's actually some money left to populate that fancy estate plan that I put together, right? The best estate plan in the world is moot if we don't have some assets to put into it. So that's the most basic difference. Where the business law portion that you mentioned comes in is that asset protection is a combination of business law planning and estate law planning in many cases. So we might use business structures like LLCs to own a piece of real estate or a specific business. We might own another business structure to own those LLCs. And then that business structure might be owned by a more traditional estate planning structure, like an irrevocable trust. So doing this takes a knowledge of all of those things and a knowledge of how to combine those things in a way that is predictable and defensible. Does that make sense? It does. And in my experience, I've heard a lot more I've heard of a lot more individuals and spoken with a lot more individuals who focus on estate planning and not so much the asset protection. So that makes a lot of sense. Like, what are some of the common financial risks that physicians face these days? Well, we've got all the traditional risks. So we've got market loss, we've got fraud, <laughs> um, we've got <clears throat> litigation risk. We've got professional liability, right? Arizona, um, many people think that Arizona is not. Uh, a highly litigious state, and perhaps compared to places like Florida, New York, and California, we are certainly less litigious. But nonetheless, we are a top 10 state for medical malpractice claims. And of course, we know that there are 10 specialties within medicine that are the highest risk within that. Uh, so <clears throat> obviously, we've got professional liability, we have personal liability for the actions of our family members and ourselves, our homes, our cars. Uh, just this year, I've probably spoken to half a dozen physicians who called me after they or a family member was involved in a very serious car accident. And they called looking for help because they were dramatically underinsured. At this point in Arizona, with 25% of the drivers on the road being uninsured or underinsured, if you don't have a minimum umbrella policy of $2 million on your home and automobiles as a physician, you are rolling the dice with your financial future. I call it financial suicide. Um, obviously, they have physicians have risks based on their investments, right? More doctors are becoming more entrepreneurial, younger um, than ever before. As you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, I've been doing this for almost 20 years um, on the asset protection side of the business. And people are accumulating more wealth younger and they are in turn using that wealth to make other investments. Doctors are routinely buying rental homes, commercial properties, investing in businesses they have a high comfort level with like uh, ASCs, labs and imaging centers. So all of those things have liability um, and we need to make sure that that liability is distinct from their practice and from their family's assets. So that's, that's just the first half a dozen risks that come to mind outside the practice. 
some of those are, um, are are very traditional and predictable and others are not. For instance, does the person that we're talking to, in addition to being a physician, hold an executive title at their practice, like CMO or president or VP or CEO, that has separate corporate liability that won't be covered by their medical malpractice insurance and they'll have to have special insurance and indemnity for that. Uh, do they own a business separate from their medical practice? Well, that business should be wrapped and, and made legally distinct as well. So all of those things can be risk factors. Wow, okay, let's dive into that a little bit after this short break and go into some more details about business-related scenarios that you've encountered with clients and some of the Arizona laws that focus on those. We'll be right back. This podcast was sponsored by Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona, the select provider of medical professional liability coverage for the Maricopa County Medical Society. As a physician-led mutual, MICA has been Arizona's choice for medical professional liability insurance for nearly 45 years. We provide value to members with superior claims handling and exceptional risk management programs. Call us today for a quote or visit our website to learn more about MICA's premium coverage options and outstanding service. 602-956-5276 or www.mica-insurance.com. Bureau of Medical Economics has been servicing the account collection needs of the medical community since 1951, with nearly 70 years of experience in this industry and proven results. We proudly consider our clients, your practice, an invaluable business partner. There is no obligation and no upfront cost. Please give us a call at 602-252-3469 for more information. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast and our guest today is Mr. Ike Devji, who for about two decades has focused on asset protection. Ike, I wanted to follow up on the uh, discussion we had before the break and ask you what medical business-related scenarios you have encountered with clients that are not patient-related. So you alluded to some of these financial risks, but what are some of those scenarios that you've encountered over the last uh, couple of years? That's, that's an interesting question, John, because physicians naturally are focused on patient risk when we talk about their professional liability. But I teach, in fact, a, like a whole CME course on the non-patient risks. So we have things like premises liability. Are there conditions on your property that could be injurious to uh, an employee or to a patient, right? Uh, we talk, we've been having, an, especially over the last couple of years, with the amount of violence that has been directed at healthcare professionals, physicians, and healthcare facilities, ranging from encouraging physicians to have reviews of the security policies in their office. Uh, do you have locking doors? Do you have cameras outside? Is your parking lot well lit? Um, do you have a firearms policy at your practice as to who inside the practice is allowed to have the gun, a gun, and are people from outside your practice, including vendors and patients, allowed to bring a firearm into the office? Um, you know, we are encouraging people to who own larger healthcare facilities uh, that are open to the public to, or in certain practices that are higher risk, to investigate things like active shooter insurance. Uh, for medical facilities. There have been a number of acts of violence related to COVID-19 and mask usage and that kind of compliance where we've seen people killed or assaulted by people who didn't want to comply or wear a mask, for instance. 
we have issues like uh, office-based drug treatment liability. Are you administering drugs in your office as part of a treatment? And has the sourcing and custody of those gone through the appropriate level of due diligence and security? Um, is your practice ADA accessible, right? In Arizona here a few years ago, we had an attorney um, who, who I think was eventually disciplined, if not disbarred, but who in the meantime filed hundreds of lawsuits against businesses churning ADA compliance lawsuits for issues like how high the counter was, was there a ramp, was the restroom uh, accessible, um, you know, obviously rack audit risk, right? The, the risk of a payer audit is always present and something that we advise every medical practice to have specific high limits of insurance against. Uh, employment practices liability, uh, employee lawsuits. The average American employer is five times more likely to be sued by an employee than for any other reason, right? So all of these are business risks and Doctors need to treat their medical practice like a medical business when going through this risk assessment and do it with somebody who actually understands all of these risks. So that, that's just a sample. There are many others, but yeah. it shows you that a focus that is purely based on medical malpractice risk and that ignores the very high level of compliance that a physician practice owner must engage in is not complete planning. Okay. A quick follow-up to that. In your experience, does the managing physician of a practice or the office manager or the practice manager normally take those conversations? Who typically is your point of contact and person you interface with? You know, I deal with the principal, right? The people who call me for help are typically the owner, the physician. Um, and so that is the person I have that conversation with. What we find in many cases is when I start asking these questions that that person has delegated this authority to an office manager or somebody else. And there's a disconnect, especially when it comes to insurance, between what the doctor is being told they need to pay for by an employee and what somebody who's in the risk management business, including people like myself, are telling the doctor they need to do, right? So there's a little bit of that telephone game. And so sometimes what happens is the office manager says, well, I think there are three or four obvious risks and we're gonna get a little bit of insurance on those and this will make the doc happy because he or she is going to get a small bill for insurance. And by saving a couple of grand, we may have left ourselves exposed to millions of dollars in liability. So the answer to your question is it depends. And the follow-up to that is it should be somebody who is willing and authorized to have the conversation, understand the risks, and who can make a decision on spending a little bit of money on risk management as opposed to a bunch of money in the future trying to respond to a crisis. Yeah, exactly. That's good advice. I, I understand that there are Arizona laws that are focused on creditor protection and what are called fraudulent conveyance rules. Can you explain those to the listeners? Sure, sure. So Arizona um, has a couple of statutes in place that protect specific assets. So that's the good news. The bad news is it only protects a couple of specific assets. And that leaves most of the majority of your wealth exposed. So the money that you folks or that your listeners have in the bank, uh, 
that is non-qualified outside retirement plans, uh, cash, stocks, bonds, CDs, money market accounts, those kinds of assets are fully accessible to anyone for any reason. Your personally held real estate, uh, with a couple of exceptions, is accessible to anyone for any reason. The income stream that your investments produce, if not properly handled and assigned to the right entities, that means it shouldn't be coming directly to you. Uh, the income streams that your investments, including your real estate investments, are exposed. So what does Arizona law protect? Well, a couple of things. Number one, it protects the cash value of life insurance and annuities to an unlimited dollar amount if you've owned the policy for 24 months contiguously, and we have an individually owned policy with dependent beneficiaries. So there's a lot of fine print there. So what I'm seeing sometimes is financial um, services providers and people who sell financial products saying to doctors, hey, the annuities and life insurance are protected. Well, yes and no. As I said, if you've had it for two years and if it's owned a certain way. Uh, so that is... Um, a very high level of protection. It's an unlimited dollar amount on those two specific assets in Arizona. The other thing that people are worried about is retirement assets, obviously. A lot of docs spend a great deal of time and effort uh, funding their retirement plans, and that's a great idea. It's That is what we refer to in my business as exemption planning, where we're looking for exempt assets that are unavailable to creditors for any reason, including from bankruptcy. And so your retirement assets are well protected under Arizona law. In fact, your IRA contributions in Arizona are unavailable to a creditor after only 120 days. Um, and, and they're protected, including from bankruptcy. The other thing that Arizona law protects uh, inadequately, especially when we're talking about physicians and their homes, is some homestead protection, which means the amount of equity in your home that is protected from your creditors inside and outside of bankruptcy. And in Arizona, it has been woefully insufficient, especially given the housing market right now. Um, there are reports out that I've shared in my own social media profiles uh, recently that show that certain neighborhoods, um, you know, the median housing price is well over a million dollars. Arizona's homestead exemption up until recently was $150,000. It was recently raised to a whopping $250,000. I hope the sarcasm is is uh, is clearly expressed there. Uh, and 250 grand just isn't enough to protect the equity that most of the doctors I deal with have in their house. That means if you have seven figures or a large amount of equity in your home, you have to proactively act to put your home in a structure that protects that equity. And that structure is not your revocable living trust or family trust or estate planning trust, whatever verbs or whatever uh, nomenclature you're using to refer to that. The revocable living trust is a great death planning tool, but it provides zero creditor protection during your lifetime. So those are the three big ones that Arizona protects. The second part of your question was on fraudulent conveyance, right? So Asset protection, the, the most important thing that we can leave anyone listening with today is that asset protection is always about timing, right? It is about risk management. It's about identifying risks, uh, ensuring ourselves against those risks, and then having legal tools in place to protect ourselves if our compliance efforts and insurance fails, right? Yep. And so you can only do that under blue skies. You cannot transfer assets away from yourself 
after a problem has occurred, regardless of whether you've actually been sued yet or not. So for instance, if you get into a car accident and hurt a bunch of people, you've got a pretty good idea that you're going to be sued. If you lose a patient on the table or there's a negative outcome with a patient who has a significant injury, uh, you have a pretty good idea that that's already happened. And when many times we get calls from people saying, well, I haven't been sued yet, so it's still legal. And we say, no, you are calling me because of that problem. You are expressly conveying to me that you know you have a problem and you're trying to protect yourself against that after the fact. And that is illegal. It is referred to as a fraudulent conveyance. And a fraudulent conveyance is also the other term of art we use is voidable transaction, which means we can simply undo the transfer you made. You're telling me you can't pay me because you transferred all your money to a trust after you had this problem. We're going to go ahead and undo that transaction. So that's what happens there. And it should be noted that not only can it be undone, doing things when you don't have a legal right to do them not only won't work to protect you, it can create additional harm and it can be civilly and criminally liable, uh, actionable. So you can be charged um, and depending on how aggressive the plaintiff is, um, you know, they, you, can, you can make things worse if you work with the wrong person at the wrong time. Wow, that's, uh, that's a lot on the line. So it makes a lot of sense to do a lot of planning in advance and know what your specific case is all about. So it, it, I'm sure this changes from physician to physician. Like um, you've alluded to insurance coverage before. I wanna ask you if you could describe maybe one or two insurance coverage options that physicians often overlook and then uh, close this conversation out with asking you about how people can contact you. So what are one or two different options for insurance that are often overlooked by doctors? Sure. One I alluded to earlier, which is every physician listening should have a high limit personal umbrella. That's number one. And the umbrella, which we should note, only protects you for incidents with your home and your car. The other thing, everything uh, that every physician listening should do is have a review of their insurance by a independent multi-line broker who can help them come up with a comprehensive insurance program. We think as consumers of insurance as one thing you buy as a policy, but the average medical practice should have, of course, medical malpractice insurance, workers' comp insurance, data breach insurance, rack audit insurance, general liability insurance in case I come to your practice and fall down. So that's five or six kinds right there. And then for physicians who have, um, as I said, titles, whether they are the de facto CEO as a practice owner, whether they are a partner in a practice or whether they serve on a board in a, in a hospital or a medical institution or anywhere else, those clients need DNO insurance, directors and officers insurance. So I don't sell insurance. I'm an attorney. I don't have a dog in that fight, but we consistently see that these things are overlooked. And uh, there's one real important point here, John. Sometimes I ask a doc, I, I run down this list, right? As part of my risk management. And I say, hey, do you have A, B, C, D, and E? And they say, yes. And then what we discover is the coverage that they have is inadequate because of the level of coverage. So rather than having a million dollar data breach policy, they have a $10,000 rider that's been added to their medical malpractice policy, which is completely inadequate to do the job that they want the insurance to do. So it's about having all the right insurance at the right amount. 
Mike, thank you very much. Um, you dropped a lot of knowledge on our listeners today. So how can people contact you or somebody else who works in asset protection? Well, you folks can find me a couple of different ways. I guess one easy way is at azwealthlaw.com. Uh, that is uh, one of my websites uh, that uh, has a great deal of information on it. Um, the other one is uh, proassetprotection.com. That's P-R-O, assetprotection.com. And that one has a very significant library of articles on all the issues that we talked about today as well. Um, I've written a couple of hundred national public, nationally published articles for physicians, as you mentioned, and I also have a column at physicianspractice.com. They can see all of that information there. Mike, thank you so much. It's been a great discussion. I've learned an awful lot, and I'm sure the physicians listening have as well. Mike Devdy, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, John. I hope, uh, hope we pointed out some things that helped some folks today. Founded in 1892, Maricopa County Medical Society is a strong, collective physician voice. Thank you for listening to the Arizona Physician Podcast.